Hey, if you have a Bible, let's go to Numbers chapter 14, and I'm gonna read verse 24. I'm gonna talk a little bit about a man named Caleb today. And the Bible says in Numbers 14 and 24 that he was a man with a different spirit. We're gonna talk about what made him different. Um, I believe that everybody is born an, an original. Most people end up dying a copy. And I hate to see that. Dr. Miles Monroe taught and uh, he said one of the saddest places in the world is, is, is a graveyard because in those graves, it's not just people that are buried, but potential that is buried. And uh, so much is in us, but we realize so little of it. And I think God is calling us to live different lives, to be of a different spirit so that we can see God do what he wants to do in this region for his glory. I just think that God has incredible plans for the Tri-Cities. I really do. I believe that a lot of the statistics that we have heard over the past few years about the addiction issues in our city and the brokenness in our city, I believe that God wants to turn those statistics upside down. I believe he wants to flip them on their head and I think he wants to do something through us. And uh, I think we are a church that is of a different spirit. We're not better than anybody else. I don't believe that for a moment. I just believe that what God wants to do in us is, is different. It's different. And uh, I hope that you can hear my heart in that today and that as I share these thoughts that you'll commit to saying, you know what, I wanna be of a different spirit. So Numbers chapter 14, verse 24 says this, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land that he went to and his descendants will inherit it. This is good news for me because I believe that what God wants to do for us is not just for us, but for those that are coming after us. I believe that God is raising up this church to be a church that is not just built to meet the needs of the people that are in it now, but the needs of the people that will come and are coming. I think that one of the most important things we can do is we can live such a life that it's a life that our children and our grandchildren want to take possession of. They want to lay hold of it. They want it for themselves. And I love this that the Bible says, Caleb, I'm gonna bring you into it, but it's gonna be something that not only do you have, but your descendants will inherit it. One, one translation says they will take ownership of it. Aren't you, aren't you just dreaming of a day when your kids and your grandkids begin to take ownership of what God is doing in this house? Do you believe that this church is not just built for you, but it's built for the future? It's built for your kids and for your grandkids and for generation after generation and long after we are gone? and not here anymore that our kids and grandkids and great grandkids will be in this room praising Jesus and lifting up the name of Jesus. Come on, I want them to take ownership. And in order for them to do that, we have to be of a different spirit. We have to be different. And the word spirit there is not something that's in his DNA, it's not his makeup, it's not who he naturally was. It's really the Bible teaches us there, that word just means mindset, just mindset. He was a different, he was a different kind of guy with a different kind of mindset. He thought different than everybody else. And we know that because he was one of the 12 spies that went out to spy 
Canaan and see all of the promises that God had for them. And he's one of only two of the 12 that actually had a good report. And the reason the Bible says in Numbers 14 and 24 that he was of a different spirit is what I wanna talk about today. I wanna talk to you about what made him different and how we can apply that to our lives. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for the opportunity to be here in your house today. We give you glory and honor for everything that's already happened today. God, thank you that you are here, your presence is here. And we're just believing, God, that you're gonna do something, speak something into our lives that is gonna leave us forever changed. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said amen. So let's look at what made Caleb different from everybody else. In Numbers chapter 13 and verse 30, we start to get a little bit of insight into the things that made Caleb different, gave him a different spirit and mindset. The first thing we notice is that when the 12 spies come back and report back to Moses, only two of them have a good report, Caleb and Joshua. The other 10, because of their report, they actually get the entire uh, nation in an uproar. They get them all up in a panic, and they're now in panic mode. They're having a total meltdown. If you read about it, they are in total meltdown because they really believe that this is something that God has promised them, but the challenge and the giants that are there and the weapons and artillery and, uh, not artillery, but the, the, the shields and the walls and all of the stuff surrounding what God has for them is just too great. They're too small. Matter of fact, they see themselves like grasshoppers. They feel like because of these giants, they are nothing but grasshoppers, nothing but grasshoppers. And so they, they, they're scared and they, they revert to panic. But what made Caleb so different is this. The Bible says in Numbers chapter 13, verse 30, it says this, it says, Caleb quieted the people. The NIV says Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. As a believer, we should be the ones operating in a quiet assurance in the midst of terrifying symptoms and odds. Caleb chose peace over panic. Now, in, in, in your life, you have to make this choice because there's a lot going on that you could panic about. One of the things that a lot of people are panicking about is what is gonna happen in 2020, in November of 2020. And people from both sides are in panic mode. They are freaking out. And I, I don't watch a lot of news, but lately I've been watching, watching news because I don't know if I need help and maybe, maybe I need a little bit of prayer or counseling, but, but I've been watching news because I'm, it's comedy to me. Like, it's not informative, it's hilarious. I, I know for some of you it makes you mad and you just wanna throw stuff, but for me, I'm laughing because what happens is these people get on television, one from this side and one from the other side, and they go in full-on panic meltdown mode, and they say what they had to say, and then at the end, the, the, the broadcaster says, well, that's the end of that argument, and do you know what happened as a result of that argument? Nothing! Nothing! Nothing changed, nobody changed their opinion, and nothing was actually done to solve the problem that they came together to have a meltdown over in the first place. And so I've been enjoying this. I've been watching it and just laughing my head off just because I, maybe something's wrong with me, like I might need counseling. My, my wife tells me that all the time. But 
<laughs> I might need it. And, and I actually recommend it. I think it's a healthy thing to do. All of my friends are doing it. And they're like, you need it too. And I'm like, no, I'm good. And they're like, no, we've watched you preach. You need it too. We've, you need it too. So, so I recommend it and, and, and I need it. But, but I just, I, I, I watch the world and the world is in panic mode. It's in meltdown mode. And there are very few people walking around with a quiet assurance that God has it under control. Is there anybody in this room that even though you might not believe it right now, you wanna just go ahead and put your hands together and maybe just make a, make a little bit of noise that, yeah, you know what? I might not feel like it, but the reality is, is God has it under control. Come on, let's, let's give praise to a God who is sovereign, who is Lord over all, and he's got it under control. So, so Caleb understood this, and so he's like, guys, let's, let's choose peace, not panic. He quieted the people. It's, it's, it's a lot like what happened with, with the disciples and Jesus in Mark chapter four, verse 39. The disciples, they're in a boat with Jesus, and there is a storm that has come up, and this storm is raging against the boat, and the disciples are in full-out panic mode. And the Bible says while they're panicking, Jesus is sleeping. And they're upset that Jesus doesn't feel the same way about the storm that they feel about the storm. Can I, can I, can I, can I just let you in on something? Stop being offended that people aren't offended. Stop getting mad at me because I'm not offended at what you're offended at. Because sometimes I'm just not offended because you know what? I just believe that Jesus is in control. And they're mad at Jesus because they go to him and say, do you not care? Why aren't you acting like we're acting about this situation? <laughs> Do you see it all the time on Facebook? If you really were a Christian, you'd do this. And if you really loved God, you would do this. And the whole world is offended that the whole world isn't upset over the same thing that we're upset over, the same thing that we're having a meltdown over. When the problem is, there is, for, for many of us, we see a problem, we just see a God who has the answer to the problem, and we realize that freaking out over it isn't gonna change the problem. So I'm not going to repost your crazy post. <laughs> if you were a real Christian, you would. <laughs> okay. Jesus, why are you not freaking out? Like, do you not see? Do you not care? He wakes up. He speaks to this army. He says, peace be still. He challenges them. He says, why are you so afraid? And they're like, well, why are you not afraid? They say, wow, he's amazing. Look at him. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Do you know what? They missed the whole point. The point of the story was not that Jesus can calm the wind and the waves. The point of that story was that Jesus could sleep in the middle of what they were having a panic attack about. God's trying to say something to you. If I can sleep through it, there's no reason for you to be afraid of it. If I can take a nap in the middle of it, 
then why are you afraid of it? And some of the stuff that is working you up and getting you all flustered, God's like, why are you afraid? And you're like, but you don't know. No, real question. Why are you afraid? Well, you don't understand. God's like, why are you afraid? Well, God, I'm afraid because why? Because in reality, we believe that the storm has more power. In reality, we believe that our situation, our, our situation is our final destination. In reality, we believe that this is as good as it gets. And because we believe those things, we panic when Jesus is like, I'm resting. I'm trying to give you a picture of how to handle storms. Sleep through them. You're like, but God, I'm, I got it, I got it. And, and, and you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off and you're like freaking out and just trying to fix all this stuff. God's like, take a nap. Well, what about my finances? Go to bed. Well, what about my marriage? Sleep. You're like, God, you don't care. And God's like, no, I'm trying to teach you how to solve problems. If you'll sleep, I'll do what I do. If you keep trying to fix it, you keep getting the way. And, and if you would, if you would shut your mouth, I could fix your marriage. <laughs> but you're like, God, I, I read three marriage books and I learned all of the stuff to say. And God's like, I can do in an hour what, it's, what it would take you four years of college to figure out. I can do in an hour if you'll just shut it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Peace, not panic. Just... Why aren't you upset? I'm just, I'm just not. Why, why aren't you? I'm just, why aren't you worried about the election? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just not. You're like, oh, how, how, do, how do we go from four years of this guy to four years of this? Because people panic. We're wondering like, Somebody was sitting in a car with me the other day. They were like, how in the world can the same nation that elected Obama elect Trump? I said, because people freak out. Because when you panic, you overcorrect. And you end up causing more problems. Oh, my God. I'm helping somebody right now. You're trying to fix it, but you overcorrected. Have you ever been in the road and you're trying not to hit a, a skunk, but you, instead of hit, miss, you miss a skunk, but you overcorrected and you, you hit a mailbox and you went off into a ditch? Sometimes you just got to put the gas down and take that skunk out. Peter's going to come like, shut me down. They're going to have a problem. Sometimes, sometimes your overcorrection is the problem. You panicked. Watch this, because I cannot control who gets into the White House. I can't control who our governor is. I can vote, but I, ultimately, I personally, individually, have no control over that. But you know what I can't control? Who gets into my house? That's what I have control over. My kids crack me up because my kids are all the time like, they'll, they'll say stuff like, like, I'm like, don't go watch that movie. 
that's a, that, that, that's a horror film and it's gonna make you scared. Oh, I'm good, Dad, I'm good. And then the next thing you know, it's one in the morning and they're coming in my room. They're like, Dad, I'm seeing clowns <laughs> in my bedroom with a balloon. And I'm like, what did you watch? Well, I watched a movie with a clown that had a balloon. I just want you to know that most of the stuff that's giving you anxiety, it's because you let it in. You would have never known about clowns with a balloon if you'd not gone to the movie. And now you're in my bedroom, pumping up the air mattress at 1 a.m., sleeping in my bedroom for a week, because you, you think a ghost clown is coming to get you. And in your heart of hearts, you know there are no ghost clowns. There are real clowns, and they're just as scary. But there are no ghost clowns. But, you, but for some reason, because you let it in, you've got this, you're looking in your closet, like you're looking under your bed. I watched a movie when I was a kid. It still affects me to this day, where, where people were getting, they were getting killed, like something was under their beds, and, and they, they would stand on the floor after they slept, and they would grab them by the legs and pull them under the bed. I, to this day, I'm 40 years old, and I refuse to sleep with one of my appendages hanging off of the bed. Like, not my arm, not my leg, not my toe. It is all going to be on the bed. And when I get out of the bed, I jump out of the bed far enough to where the arms can't get me. There's nobody under my bed. But when I was 12 years old, Scared of basements. Every time I go into a basement, all of you, you, you when you, you, if you, especially if there's no switch at the, at the bottom to where you can turn it on and then turn it off at the top, like the only switch is at the bottom is what I mean. Like if you gotta turn it off at the bottom, like you run up those steps and no matter how saved you are, you still feel like something is grabbing There's nothing there. How do you, why do you feel? Because you saw it. You let it in. Somewhere you saw somebody get pulled down some steps in a basement. I just, I just want you to know that, that most of the stuff that we're afraid of, we let in. We let it in. See, the same thing that makes a boat float is the same thing that will make it sink. You put a boat on water, it floats. You put water in a boat, it sinks. The problem isn't the water, the problem is it got in. You have to refuse to let what is happening around you get in, in you. That's why there's so much scripture about come out from among them and be separate. Don't live like the world. Don't act like, don't watch what they watch. See what they see. Hear what they hear. Because you need to be able to live a fearless life. And if you're not careful, you'll let the same stuff in that they're letting in. And so no wonder you're a Christian, but you have the same anxieties and fears as everybody else. Some of y'all can watch that stuff and you ain't scared of nothing. Still. But some of us can't. Some of us have to guard that stuff just a little bit closer than others. It's just true. So we choose peace, not panic. 
Oh, man. Do you, I wanna give you this scripture. I need to move on, but I wanna give it to you. The Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses three through four. This is gonna seem random, but it's, it's along the same lines as peace and not panic. The Bible says, your beauty should not come from the outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Verse four, it says, rather it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. In 1 Peter chapter three, he's talking to wives who are living with someone, who are married to someone, in a relationship with, with someone who is not saved. And he's saying the best way to change their mind about God is not your outward beauty, but your inner peace. No one in the world looks at the church and says, you have nothing to offer when we panic just like they do. But if we slept through what they panic about, maybe they would say, there's something different going on on the inside. Second thing I see is he saw opportunity instead of obstacle. He saw an opportunity instead of an obstacle. Numbers chapter 14 and verse seven says, Caleb called the land of giants. He called it an exceedingly good land. In his mind, he made a record of the cities, the vineyards, the water supplies, and the homes, not the walls, the defenses, and the giants. He saw giants not as a problem, but as an opportunity. The giants were a door. Here's what you have to understand about doors. The Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, he said um, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, not Paul, he, but he said, uh, Peter said, I, I wanna come see you. I, I wanna visit you. But a, uh, I'm sorry, it was Paul. He said, but there's a, there are adversaries um, here. There's a great door, but at the same time, there are adversaries here. I wanna, I wanna look this scripture up because I want you to see it. It's powerful because what's happening is he is in the middle of revival. There are people being saved. Um, people's lives are being changed. The, the entire city is in an uproar because businesses are upset that he is in, in, uh, in town. People are trying to kick him, kick him out of town. I'm gonna look this up for you. First Corinthians 16 and nine, he says, because, I'm sorry, it is Paul. He says, because a great door of effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries who opposed me. So what he's showing us, he's showing a picture of what an open door in the kingdom looks like. An open door in the kingdom is not like surrounded by flowers and like it's open and there's a great light, of, there's a tunnel of light and God is like standing at the door like come on in to the great opportunity that I have for you. No, an open door in the kingdom looks like a scary place, looks like a dangerous place. And so many of us miss the open doors that God has for us because we're afraid of what is at the door. And so what you have to change in your mind is I do not see giants, I do not see obstacles, I see opportunities. There is an opportunity. He said, there's, there's an effective door open for me for ministry. Like, it's, it's painful here. It's, it's heartbreaking here. They're trying to kick me out of town. But there's no other place that God is doing like 
what he is doing here. He's, I could leave, but I don't wanna leave. I know it's tough, but I don't wanna leave. I know it's hard, but I need to stay. I just want you to know that some of the greatest opportunities in your life are gonna be surrounded by some of the greatest giants you have ever seen in your life. David put it this way in 1 Samuel. He said, he's, when he came to the battlefield and he saw Goliath, he, he, he asked this question before he ever decided to fight Goliath. He said this, he said, what does the person who beats Goliath get? Because he wasn't going to fight the fight until he knew what would come as a result of the fight. And so when he found out, the, the, they, said, they said, so the man who defeats Goliath, the king is going to give him great wealth. He's going to let him marry his daughter, and he's going to let him be free of taxes. I would have done it for the tax exemption status alone. Anybody else in here was just like, no more taxes for the rest of my life? No more taxes, not just for him, but for his children. No more. So, so, <laughs> so David says, what do I get? Here's the problem with us. The reason we don't have the energy to deal with the obstacles in our life is because we fight all the wrong battles. And then when we get to the real battle, we don't have the energy left to do what we need to do. In other words, we have wasted all of our energy fighting fights we were never designed to fight. Can I tell you, you might win that fight with your spouse, but ultimately you didn't win. That fight doesn't bless you. And you have to stop fighting fights that don't bless you. Like, I'm not going to waste my energy trying to win that fight with Monica. Like, like, especially when it gets to that point. You know what I'm talking about? Like, where it's gone from, like, the financial conversation you were having at the table to, like, your mama, you know, or your dad. You know, like, it takes a leap from, like, we were just talking about finances, and all of a sudden you're talking about my mama. And then it's like a one-up, you know, on the mama jokes. And, 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 and pretty soon you're at a place where you can't return from. You're like, and then you finally like win and she's crying and you're sitting there like, yeah, yeah, that didn't bless you. You lost. You think you won, but you lost. And now you don't have the energy necessary to fight your true enemy, the devil. How about all of that energy you put into winning arguments you shouldn't even fight in the first place? How about we put all of that energy into beating our bad attitudes? like our lack of self-control. Okay, well, glory. I knew that wasn't in my notes for a reason. I was like, that wasn't, that wasn't gonna go over well, so I left that reference out of there. But, <laughs> but the giants are a door. See, people with this kind of mindset, opportunity instead of obstacle mindset, they have a healthy spirit. And the Bible says in Proverbs 18 and 14, a healthy spirit conquers adversity, but what can you do when a spirit is crushed? A healthy spirit. This is what a healthy spirit looks like. A healthy spirit is always leaning in to learn. A healthy spirit says, hey, I'm coming to my relationships. I'm coming into this new job. I'm coming into this, this, uh, this church. I'm coming into this uh, friendship. I'm coming into this marriage leaning in to learn. It's a mindset. People with a healthy spirit. Because it's like, it's like when you have an unhealthy spirit, you think you're the smartest person in the room. One of the things that, that gives me the freedom to do what I do every week is that when I come to this pulpit, I don't come to this pulpit thinking I'm the smartest person in the room. I come to this part, pulpit ultimately believing that probably 99.9% .9 of the people in this room 
are smarter than me. And I'm not here to show you how it is and to educate you and give you what for and show you my wisdom. I'm just here to try to help. I'm, try, I'm, I'm here to try to, whatever I know, I'm trying to give you as help. And I think that's why, that's why people who come here can, can relate to what is going on here because they don't feel like the preacher is up here somewhere and you're down here somewhere. You truly feel like we're all down here together. Because we are. And the reality is you're probably smarter than me. There are a lot of men and women in here who know the Bible better than me. But I'm not up here because I know the Bible better. I'm up here because another reason, another thing that people with a healthy spirit have is they are strong in their grace. They're not comparing themselves with anybody else. They're not trying to be anybody else. They're not jealous of other people. They realize the lane that God has called them to, and they realize that I am the only person who can walk in this lane like I walk in this lane. Do you know what I know? Is even though I know I might not be the smartest person in this room, you still can't be me. You can't be me. I'm the only one who can be me. So I'm strong in my grace. It's not a false humility. Oh, I'm stupid. No, you guys are so much smarter. I'm just up here. I mean, I don't even know anything. No, it's like, I, 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 I'm, I, I'm willing to learn, but I'm also, I know who I am. People get so upset sometimes, and, and, and they come to Calvary, and they've come from other churches, and, and, and when they come, they come, they come to Calvary, and they're like, hey, hey, you know, at my other church, we used to do this ministry, or we used to do this, or we used to have this available, and I'm like, that's great, but that's not who we are. I'm strong in the grace that God has, has on my life. Like, I'm not trying, like, I love T.D. Jakes, but I am not T.D. Jakes. Do you know who's the best T.D. Jakes? T.D. Jakes. I, I, I love other preachers, but do you know who does the best version of them? They do. Do you know who does the best version of you? You. You have to be strong in the grace that is on your life, not jealous of other people, not like, see, this is how you can tell somebody with, with they don't have a healthy spirit. They say stuff like, you know, if I had their resources, I could do what they do too. You know, you know, you know, I meet a lot of pastors sometimes and they're in small communities or they have small church and they're like, well, if I was in Atlanta, I could have a mega church too. If somebody's like, oh, well, 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 if, if I was married to that person, then we would have a good marriage too. Always blaming somebody else. Somebody else is always keeping them from what they were supposed to have. It's always somebody else's fault. I didn't grow up in the right family. I didn't get the right resources. I didn't have the right background. I, I'm not the right color skin. Everybody just wants to be a victim. And God is like, get over the victimhood thing. Realize that I have a grace that is on your life. I have a lane for you to run in that nobody else can run in. And as long as you keep looking around, comparing your life, no wonder you keep tripping up. You're not looking forward. That's why Paul said, listen, I don't look back. I look ahead because the thing that God has for me is not in my neighbor's lane. It's not in my neighbor's house. It is not my neighbor's car. It's in front of me. Amen. The mark is in front. I'm running towards the goal, not towards your goal. Not towards your definition of success, but towards the grace that God has called me to. Amen. They're, they're strong in their grace. They're kind to the core. They have a faith for more. They live a life that inspires. This, this thought is really cool because they're motivated by what they can do for others more than they are motivated by what they do and can have for themselves. 
Third thought is this, if you'll stand with me. They realize this, that their alignment is the power for their assignment. Numbers 14 and eight, Caleb says this. He says, hey, listen, if the Lord is pleased with us, he's gonna bring us in. That's a powerful statement. If the Lord is pleased with us, he's gonna bring us in. He's gonna do it. I love that because it's like my role is obedience. God's job is the outcome. We're so worried about trying to determine the outcome that we never obey because we're not sure if the way God wants us to do it is gonna result in the outcome we want. That's not our job. Our job is obedience. God says do it, we do it. And so when we do what, we, when we do what he says, we get into alignment with him. The power we need to do what we've been called to do is in our alignment. So many people are like, well, where's God's blessing and where's God's favor on my life? Sometimes it's just a matter of alignment. Sometimes you're doing something and saying, God, bless this. And God's saying, that's not the thing I told you to do, so I'm not gonna bless that because I don't bless your agenda. I created you, you didn't create me. The created does not tell the creator what the created was made for. So I don't get to tell God, I know you had this plan for me, but this is what I wanna do. He's like, no, that's not what I, that's not what I bless. That's, what my, that's not what my favor is on. That's not alignment with me. So Caleb said, listen, if, if the Lord is pleased with us, he'll bring us in. Our only job is obe obedience. He will take care of the outcome. Jesus said in Luke 11 and 28, he said, he said, blessed is the man who not only hears the word, but puts it into practice, but obeys the word. Here's the thing. You can't pray promises, violate principles, and expect the blessing of the promise. You can't pray the promise, violate the principles of the promise, and then expect the promise anyway. Jesus said, the one that hears and obeys will be blessed. See, there is a difference between God providing for you just because you're his and you experiencing the overflow of what obedient life, of what an obedient life has as blessing. There's a difference. For, for my kids, like if my kids were to ever come to me, no matter how bad they were, how disobedient they were, if they were able to come to me and say, Dad, can, you, can I have some food? Absolutely. I would not say, well, you know, you lied to me this morning, so you're not gonna eat today. Like that would be evil. That would be evil. That's, some of you are like, well, I've done that before. That is evil. Don't do that. <laughs> oh, Dad, Dad, can, 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 I, can I have a drink of water? Well, son, you know, you, you talk back to your mom today. No water, sorry. No, God doesn't do that. Some stuff God does just because we're his kids. He just, he just provides for the necessities of life. He, he will make sure we have the food we need, the drink we need, the clothes we need. He provides for that because he's just a good dad. Can I tell you some of the, some of the extras, the blessings that overtake your life happen as a result of obedience. One of my kids could come to me and say, hey dad, can, can, I, can I have the keys to the car? I wanna go out tonight. Um, no, you lied to me today. Can I have food? Absolutely. 
Can I have the car? No. Do you see the difference? Dad, can I have some money to go to the movies tonight and hang out with my friends? No, you, you, you were rude to your mom and you need, to, you need to fix that. Can I have some water? Absolutely. See the, see the difference? One is the, one is the overflow of obedience. One is the product of just belonging to God. So I want you to understand some of the power that you need, some of the resources that you need are connected to your alignment to his word, to doing his will. People don't like to hear that anymore. We just like to live in a world where there are no consequences for our actions, that we cannot, we cannot hurt God's heart. We cannot, we, God cannot, God, God could never not be pleased with our lives. Oh, yeah. There are times we displease him with our lifestyle. But does that mean he doesn't love us or stop being our father? Absolutely not. But you have to recognize that some of the stuff that's missing in your life is missing because you don't obey. You, you can't have the blessing of reaping a harvest unless you put seed in the ground. Oh my goodness. Like, God, why aren't you blessing my finances? God's like, I want to, but, but heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will remain. And my word says to reap a harvest, you gotta put a seed in the ground. Man, people don't wanna hear that. Matthew 27, 22 and 37, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. I gotta get into alignment with God's will for my life. And it starts with just being obedient to the scripture, the word that I know to do. Fourth thing he saw, he saw spiritual warfare instead of carnal, natural warfare. He was like, you know what? This isn't a natural fight. Like we're not, I know they're big. I know they're giants. I know they've got walls. I know they got armor. I know they got shields. I know they got swords. They're, they got it all. But can I tell you this? In, in Numbers 14 and nine, Caleb goes, their protection has been removed from them and the Lord is with us. Let me tell you what didn't happen. They didn't lose their swords and their shields. At that point, no walls had come falling down. <laughs> Do you know how they won this victory? The Bible says that God sent a bunch of hornets. So in other words, what will your sword do when you've got 500 hornets flying at you? What's your shield gonna do when hornets can get up and under your shield and all of a sudden the thing that was protecting you is the thing that's now holding the bees in and it's killing you? What can your walls do against the horn? And, and so, in other words, Caleb saw, he said, listen, I know they look big and they look strong, but they are no match for God's hornets. I need you to understand something. I don't know what's going on in your life today, but I need you to understand, it's no match for whatever God is going to send to take out the enemy, the giant that stands in front of you. They can't, I don't care what defenses they have. Whatever God sends, their defenses will not 
work. Ephesians 6 and 12 says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. 1 John 5 and 4 through 5 says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except for the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? What do I need to do to overcome the enemy? Just believe in Jesus. It can't be, yeah, because whatever Jesus is going to use against your enemy, your enemy doesn't stand a chance. Is there anybody in this room that's grateful for the fact that no matter what this world throws at you, no matter what the enemy throws at you, no matter what people throw at you, it does not stand a chance. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. God, we're asking today that we would be people of peace and not panic. God, that we would be people that see opportunity and not obstacles. God, that we would be people that see that our alignment is the power for our assignment. And God, help us to see that this is a spiritual warfare, not natural. We're not fighting against people. We're not fighting against our spouse. We're not fighting against our boss. We're not fighting against our neighbor. We are fighting in a spiritual battle. God, help us to be aware of that because ultimately, no matter what is coming against us, we have the victory in Jesus name and we thank you for that and we give you glory for that and we clap our hands now and we lift our voice thanking you believing that victory belongs to us in Jesus name amen 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 every head up every eye open hey if you're here today and you say Rob I don't know about my alignment with God let me just give you maybe there's two different types of people in the room today Maybe you're hearing you say, Rob, I have never given my life to Jesus. I've never made Jesus Lord of my life, and I want to make that decision today. Or you're the second person that I'm talking to, and you say, my life feels like it's out of alignment, and I want to make a decision to, to come back into alignment with what God is saying about my life, what God is declaring over my life. The Bible tells us that if we sin, if we will repent of those sins, that God, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us from all of our unrighteousness. It doesn't matter how bad your sin is. It's sin in the eyes of God. And if you will repent, he will forgive you of it, no matter what it is, no matter how far you've gone into it, no matter how many times you have done it, God will forgive you. And so if that's you today and you say, Rob, I need to get back into alignment with God. I'm gonna count to three. And when I do, I want you to throw your hand up in the air and every person in this room is going to put their hands together and rejoice because coming into alignment with God is one of the greatest decisions you will ever make for your life and you can do that right now. So one, two, three, throw that hand up if that's you. I see you, I see you. Anybody else? Throw it up. I see you. I'm coming back into alignment. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. I'm coming back into alignment with God today. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Come on church, let's... Let's pray this prayer together. Let's say this together. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me, that you gave your life for me. I give you my life today. Take it all. Have your way. Use me for your glory. I repent of my sins. I confess you as Lord. Thank you for receiving me. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's put our hands together one more time and bless the Lord. That's awesome.